Coming up on golf today, Captain Luke Donald completes his Ryder Cup team with six picks. Did he nail them? Which side is stronger ahead of Rome? Big questions to be answered. And they will be answered by the captain himself as Luke hops on the show after a busy day in London. What are his most important moves to come? Find out next on Golf Today. My first pick is Tommy Fleetwood. My second pick is Sepp Straka. My third pick is Justin Rose. My fourth pick is Shane Lowry. My fifth pick is Nikolai Hoygaard. He has the potential to be one of golf's superstars. So my sixth and final pick is Ludwig Aberg. And Luke Donald makes his team whole with six captains picked. Last week was Zach Johnson. This time, Luke Donald starring three Ryder Cup veterans in Justin Rose, Tommy Fleetwood, and Shane Lowry, and three Ryder Cup rookies in Sepp Straka, Nikolai Hoygaard, and Ludwig Aberg. And here's a look at the complete European team headed to Rome. Europe has won six straight at home, 97, 02, 06, 2010, 2014, and 2018. This is golf today Damon Ack alongside Eamon Lynch how did Luke Donald do I think he's got a pretty good balance here between the two elements that they're really looking for which is the experience and the passion and he certainly added some wily veterans in there with with Justin Rose and, and Tommy Fleetwood as well and there's a very clear investment in the future mm. of the European Ryder Cup team here particularly with uh, Hoygaard and with Ludwig Eberg and that's by necessity there has been this generational change going on in the European team which is very clear even the last time around is that the, the next generation had to be brought along and I just think it's it's very noticeable both teams have four rookies yeah. on them three on the American team qualified three on the European team were chosen as an investment in the future. But again, a lot more necessity on the European side to do that than there is on the U.S. side. We watched the press conference, uh, Nick Doherty and the captain, Luke Donald. I was struck by how low wattage some of these rookies are, some of these picks, you know, Sepp Straka. You're not expecting from, uh, compelling interviews well, that I'm week just, in Rome, uh, no? Possibly. I mean, I, I kind of miss the, the energy of Sergio and Ian Poulter, and I wonder, will Luke Donald, we'll have him on a little bit later, Has he have? does he have enough kind of extroverted energy? Does he have enough of that passion? You know that Rahm is going to bring it in Tyrrell Hatton. We saw Rory's tears as well. But I just wonder, does this team have enough of that it factor, that fire of Sergio racing up and down the fairways in 1999, Poulter in the bug eyes in 20, 2012? Is there enough of that element for this team? I would argue that guys like, you know, one of the greatest players in European Ryder Cup history, Nick Faldo, didn't exactly show mm. a lot of fire out there as well. Yeah. You could make the same argument to some extent for even a Colin Montgomery mm. back in the day. Is that as long as they're delivering points, I don't think he's going to care mm. how much they're fist pumping. No one's actually getting rated on their fist pump ability yeah. here. A guy like Shane Lowry, he's clearly the passion case in, mm. in this Ryder Cup. In a way, he's the, the, the JT of the European side. He's going to be criticised for not showing his best form lately, but that's not why Luke Donald cited him mm. as being on the team. It's the passion that he brings, even in the losing effort two years ago at Whistling Streets. He set himself up as this kind of heart and soul uh, of, of the team, the guy who had the real passion to be on that team, and that's why he's there again. Yeah, major champ winner of a WGC as well. Who's the Keegan Bradley? 
of the European side? Is there a player who is an obvious, necessarily snub, but someone who is maybe close to getting the call and is not on this team? To me, there's only one, and he's not widely known, certainly outside of Europe, is Adrian Moronk, who's won three times in, in a little over a year, who actually won. It shows how this, this idea that the European team isn't very deep is exposed by the absence of Adrian Moronk. He won at Marco Simone in the Italian Open earlier this year. So Luke Donald has the luxury yeah. of leaving off the guy who's proven himself not only a winner elsewhere, but a winner on this golf course. In May. In May. It and wasn't even that long ago. It was five he, minutes ago. He does have the two previous winners at yeah. Marco Simone right. on his team as well, in Nikolai Hargard and Bob McIntyre. Right. But Moronk is, you know, he's a seriously good player. And it's ultimately, I think it comes down to this idea. Is it Aberg, Hoygaard, Moronk? There was three mm. for two. I think Aberg settled his yesterday with that victory. Probably had settled it beforehand, I suspect. And Hoygaard had just shown more form recently than we'd seen out of Adrian Moronk. You know, he'd, he'd finished well earlier this summer, but he hasn't really had a, a very high yeah. finish in the last couple of months, Moronk, and that just might have been the difference. For me, it was fun to see Justin Rose and to hear his voice now as the elder statesman of this team. And you had Nick Doherty interviewing Luke Donald, and they're talking about all the big-time putts that Justin Rose has made in his career, and obviously a winner early this year. Um, at Pebble Beach, uh, what does he bring as an Olympic gold medalist, as a major champ, as someone who has five and now it'll be six starts in the Ryder Cup? Well, what's crucial with a guy like Justin Rose is when you look at his stats, the closer he gets to the business end of a hole, the better yeah. he is. He's, he's back to the point now where he's top 20. Strokes gained approach last season on the PGA Tour is 26th in putting. That tends to be a pretty good combination, particularly when you're playing foursomes or alternate mm. shot. And that's true of a lot of this team. There's a lot of really premier ball strikers on this team. Do you think Luke Donald is already setting the storyline? And he was, he was asked during the, the press conference about, you know, whether they should be favorites or not, that three of the four best players in the world are on the European side. But he quickly went to the, what the betting tables are saying in terms of who, which side should be favored. I can already hear, and Europe does it great every two years, setting the table as we're the underdogs. The Americans, you know, by official world golf ranking, they have the players, they have the firepower. Even though the Americans haven't won on European soil since 93, you can already hear the storylines being set that Europe will be the underdog. Well, that's because Luke knows, as every captain does before him, that the American team loves to believe in the concept of American exceptionalism, mm. and it extends to the Ryder Cup, <laughs> no matter how much evidence. It's to the contrary, certainly in the last few years. But I do want to point out how little team experience these guys do have together. Yes. If you look uh, at these guys and how little they've played together over the last few years, this is the sum total of the five occasions in the last two Ryder Cups in which anyone on this team has actually partnered together. All in four ball matches and there's not much to rave about there. It's just one victory, a couple of halves, a couple of losses. So it's not like, you know, Luke Donald had a great partnership with Sarah Gill. Yeah. If and others, you know, Olathabel and Ballester. Stenson and Rose, yeah. yeah. But they don't have any of that this right. year. They're starting with a completely blank slate. Yeah, it's going to have to be Tommy Fleetwood, and it won't be Mollywood, it'll be something else Wood, perhaps. Eventually. Well, the man who's making all of these calls is joining us next, Europe's captain, Luke Donald. He's coming up right after this break.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Twelve strong, Captain Luke Donald called it. He has finalised his European team for the Ryder Cup in Rome later this month with his six captain's picks, Ludwig Eberg, Tommy Fleetwood, Nikolai Hoygaard, Shane Lowry, Justin Rose and Seth Straka. And they have an enviable streak to continue. The last US victory on European soil was 30 years ago at the Belfry. Six straight victories for Europe as the host. And in 2006, Europe swept all five sessions, the only time either side has done with that since the current format was adopted more than 40 years ago. Yeah, Luke's been at the helm for the European squad as they look to continue their dominance. Been a part of a lot of winning for Team Europe. Served as vice captain in both 2018 and 2021 and a member of four winning teams 04, 06, 2010 and 2012. And his Ryder Cup record is brilliant. 10, 4, and 1 including 3 and 1 in singles. American golf fans remember he set the tone took down Bubba Watson in the opening match on Sunday singles at Medina in 2012 and great to have the captain with us now Luke the assumption is that this is the most difficult part of the captaincy making the picks how would you describe it yeah it's been a whirlwind uh, 48 hours for sure Damon um, but excited to have the 12 strong now um, in place and uh, as we march towards uh, towards Rome uh, in a few weeks Luke, you had Ludwig Aberg win yesterday. You've had Nikolai Hargard show some form in the last few weeks. How much of this team was really undecided until the last 48 hours? There was. There was a number of players that uh, could have legitimately put their, their case forward. Um, and, uh, and it was exciting. It was really exciting to watch the golf last week, this week uh, in, in Kron. Um, you know, and it, it, there were some picks that were definitely up in the air. Um, you know, and I think that was only just shows the strength of the options that I had at my disposal. I don't think I could have made a wrong decision, to be honest, but I am very happy with the 12 that I've ended up with. Luke, how closely had you been watching Ludwig? Because the story going around is that you saw him play for the first time and your reaction was similar to when you saw Rory McIlroy for the first time. And it was wow. How would you describe that early interaction with the young Swede? 
Well, I think I've been in, around the, the game long enough to understand when you see, you know, a potential superstar. I certainly saw that, as you said, with Rory. I played with him, I think, back in, I don't know, maybe it was... 2006, 2007 at St. Andrews, um, you know, and he just blew me away. And I, I kind of got that same feeling when I played with Ludwig uh, at, at Detroit at the Rocket Mortgage. Um, you know, he was a cool nine under through 16 playing with me um, around there and um, just made it look so easy. So, uh, you know, obviously we, were, we, we knew about him. We were keeping a little bit of a, an eye on him uh, for a long time. But, uh, you know, what he did in the last couple of weeks was, was pretty special. And to, to birdie four of your last five, I think that's pretty clutch uh, as someone that's so new to the professional game uh, and finish off with a, with a winning crown. Unlike most of your predecessors, Luke, you don't have a lot of established partnerships to work with here. There's only been five occasions in the last couple of Ryder Cups where any of these guys have actually <laughs> paired up together. It's not like you and Sergio back in the day. Do you look upon this as a chance to just completely experiment or do you have some pairings already set in your mind? Well, so of course, um, it's, it's hard to set pairings down when you don't have 12. Obviously, we have 12 now, and I'll certainly start working on that. I've certainly had some thoughts. I've been thinking about it since uh, day one of my captaincy, to be honest, with potential players that are probably going to be there. But, um, yeah, as you said, we do have experience. We have, I think, 21 Ryder Cups to the, to the US 17 in, in terms of experience. We have some young players. But again, we don't have too many tried and tested partnerships. So it's about finding those um, over the next uh, few weeks, talking to the players, seeing who they're comfortable playing with and figuring out uh, statistically who they, they, they might pair up well with as well around that golf course. So it's an exciting few weeks to, to come, lots to, lots to do. You have the players and undoubtedly you have the passion, Luke, but, but how important is it to replace that kind of extroverted emotion that a Sergio Garcia brought that you saw so well that an Ian Poulter brought for years? Those are big personalities to replace. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they were great in the team room. And, uh, you know, I think we're still going to have uh, an interesting mix of, of players, people who like to lead, people who like to just lead with, uh, with their clubs. And, um, you know, I think every team has a, a different vibe, a different personality. But it's my, my uh, job is obviously to create the right environment for them to succeed. And I think we, we are well on the way to doing that. Luke, you mentioned you were going to sort out a lot of these partnerships over the coming weeks. Should we expect to see some of these team members paired together this week at the K Club in the Irish Open or, or at Wentworth for the BMW <laughs> Championship? Uh, potentially, you know, obviously, captain's privilege. I've got to be able to play with a lot of people that I thought might be making the team over the last year. And, you know, it would be uh, obviously smart of me to try and start to pair some of those guys. I don't think that's any secret, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I think there's only three of them playing this week in Ireland. Rory, Shane and Tyrrell. Um, obviously, I, I believe everyone on the team is playing Wentworth. So, um, you know, I have some, some opportunity to maybe uh, start thinking about some possible pairings. Yes. Luke, I imagine when you're a player, it's hard to imagine yourself as a captain. What's the journey been like personally for you to go from Ryder Cup player to leader of men? <laughs> Well, Damon, it, I've tried to enjoy the journey as much as possible. That was certainly some advice I got from some of my, my previous past captains that I've played under and that I've been a vice captain under. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a long process. It's a busy process, especially for a home captain. But I've tried to enjoy it. Uh, I've tried to get to know the players a lot better, start to be very uh, open with my communication to the players. You know, and I think all those things really help when, when, when we'll get into those team rooms in Rome. So um, we've got uh, a few more weeks ahead of it, but uh, it's going to be gonna be here before we know it. Can you give us some insight, Luke, to how your decision-making to this point has been influenced by Eduardo Molinari and the kind of focus on stats and what marries up well together among players? Well, I think we're still early on, in, as I said, with the pairings and stuff, but uh, we've, we've kept traps, traps, uh, track of all the players, you know, eligible to me, um, you know, on, on their statistics, uh, looking at how they're playing. So, you know, he's been really invaluable in terms of that, just looking at, uh, you know, strokes gained on how, the, how uh, certain parts of their games are working, whether players are trending, whether they're not playing so well, you know, which parts of their games are uh, struggling or, or which parts of their games are, are working really well. So all those things are, are, are invaluable for me, and, and Eduardo has been a, a big help with that. Luke, speaking of value, what was the value of seeing Zach Johnson kind of make his moves first and set up his team? Was there any you know, ability for you to react to what Zach Johnson did, or did you kind of stay in your own lane and focus on the team that you wanted to build? Oh, to be honest, Damon, I, I stayed stayed in my own lane. You know, I want to I want to have the 12 best that I that I feel. Um, you know, that we know the Americans are going to be strong. Um, they certainly showed that two years ago. Uh, they have some strong partnerships, but again, I'm concentrating more on the 12 guys and really happy that uh, they are one now. Uh, 12 12 together strong. <laughs> Luke, you left off the team, Adrian Moronk, who won at Marco Simone earlier this year. Now, you do have the two previous winners at Marco Simone on the team in Nikolai Highgard and Bob McIntyre. How tough a call was it with someone like Adrian, who's played well over the course of the last year, perhaps not as well in the last couple of months, but does have form at the venue? Well, as I said, um, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, I feel like I had a lot of great options that I could have gone with. There's always going to be some people that miss out and are very disappointed. And Adrian, certainly one of those. He's he's a fine player, and I expect him to go on to great things and make future Ryder Cups. Um, you know, I obviously, um, you know, just looking at, at some of the the picks that I made. Uh, you know, I, I've continually always said that I, I look at form, I look at how they represent with the course, how they represent with, with certain partnerships of the six automatic. And, and, and because of that, those are the 12 guys that I went with. Just one quick last question, Luke. You, you've had six picks, which is more than any of your predecessors have. And Padraig Harrington always argued that captain's picks were under a little bit more pressure to justify their position on the team. Is that a notion that you subscribe to? Would you be happy with three picks, two picks, or six work for you? I'm still happy with the six. Um, you know, I think always in that process, there's a couple that probably are pretty obvious. So in the end, you know, uh, it really just eliminates the option of having someone play really well back in January, February, March, and kind of hang on without some, without some, with, with some poorer performances and hang on to those last qualification spots. This way, I know I can get to the most informed players um, and the players that match up with the six. Luke, we know it's a big day for you and Team Europe. Thanks for the time. Best of luck in Rome. Cheers, guys. Thank you. European captain Luke Donald. I think one of the stories, you know, Eamon, of the year was that, oh, maybe this team won't have as many options. Who won't be there? 
the closer we got to these picks, the more it looked like it was a derby and that there were a lot of players playing great and that some of those players would be left off this team like Adrian Moronk. Yeah, two years ago, there was so much focus on this idea that Europe was facing a generational crisis. And right. that was kind of layered on with the defections to live as well, including Luke's predecessor as captain, yes. Henrik Stenson. But that was essentially a generation of captains who were brought away. There, there wasn't really a player, perhaps Garcia, in that mix who was likely to be on this team at all. So the idea that there's a generational crisis in Europe, I think, seems to have been overstated to some degree. Mm. I mean, they've got some heavy artillery on this team. They, they have the do. number two, three, and four in the world. They have four yeah. of the world's top ten. They have six of the world's top 15. Last time out at Whistling Straits, John Ram was the world number one, but he was the only Europe player, European in the top 13 in the official world golf rankings. Yeah. So this team has a lot more heft at the top than certainly it had two years ago. And when you look at the guys who are being chosen in there as well, you know, Nikolai Hargard hasn't won in, in a year and a half, but he's shown great form recently, has mm. won on that venue. Sepp Straka has won on the PGA Tour this year. Justin Rose has won on the PGA Tour this year. Tommy Fleetwood yeah. has six top how's tens in his last How's Victor starts. Hovland doing in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, he's not looking how about too Ludwig either. coming in, birding in four of his last five? I mean, you, they got, you want to talk about some players coming in with some form. Luke Donald has them. When you've got the top of the lineup the way Luke Donald has, you can afford to invest mm. in future talent when you go a little bit farther down the lineup because it is so top-heavy. And it's, it's worth pointing out, Luke Donald spent a lot less time today talking about how well these players get along with each other. Mm. He's talking about how they marry up as potential pairings, how they marry up statistics, yeah. what's their experience on it. It's not a buddies trip he's putting together, mm. and that's an accusation that has been credibly leveled against the U.S. team. A lot of balance, a lot of firepower. We'll see how it plays out. There is indeed. Well, one man who's been watching this entire qualification process with tremendous intensity is our colleague Jaime Diaz. His reaction to the finalizing of Europe's team coming up next. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back on golf today. The last time the Ryder Cup was held on European soil was in 2018. Le Golf National in Paris, France. Thomas Bjorn led Europe to a lopsided victory over Jim Furyk's American team. Well, that was reversed, of course, two years ago at Whistling Straits with the most one-sided win in history, 1990 for the American team, but as you can see, four of the last six Ryder Cups have been won by Team Europe and all of them for the last 30 years on home soil. Europe's 12 strong for Luke Donald in Rome includes six picks, Fleetwood, Lowry, Rose, Aberg, Straka, and Nikolai Hoygaard, and Tommy Fleetwood, 
will be joining us in just a little bit. Right now, we are joined by Jaime Diaz. Jaime, always great to spend time with you. Your thoughts on this completed 12 for Luke Donald? You know, a very good team that's going to be on home soil. Mm. I, I think they're going to be very competitive, and I wouldn't make them the underdog. Mm. Um, I really do think it's sort of a throwback type of team, very top-heavy, like you saw in the 80s and the 90s, you know, where you had Faldo and Seve and Langer and Woozy and Alathabal, um, you know, Lyle. That mm. was a team where some of the guys didn't even play to the singles who were at the lower end of right. the ladder. I'm not think, I, don't, I think this team's a little better, better balanced than mm. that, but, I mean, to have Hovland... Uh, and Rom and Rory right up there. Uh, that's that's really formidable, and mm. you can do a lot with the combinations there. I do think the setup is going to be determinant in terms of what Luke's trying to do, and I think he wants good ball striking. Obviously, everybody wants good putting. I think Europe has better putting than they've had in the past. Mm. Uh, it seems to me across the board that it looks like a team that can hold putts. Mm. Uh, a couple of guys who are a little weak with the putter, but in general, uh, a lot of guys who, who are actually, you know, Tommy Fleetwood, for example, can really do it, but you know, I think fairways and greens, that's going to be the mantra for Europe, and mm. it has been in the past, and it was in France, and I think mm. it'll be in Italy. Mm. Isn't it just so tantalizing to try to figure out what some of these partnerships would yeah. be? Because you do kind of know, to some extent, what the American team is going to do. You're probably going to see JT and Jordan Spieth again. You're probably going to see Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler. But it's a completely blank slate on the European team here. Hovland has played with Fleetwood a couple of times in the past, lost both of those matches. Mm -hmm. There's been occasional matches, you know, Lowry's played with Hatton once, but there's really no history there. To me, it's just an, an absolutely intriguing blank slate of to what extent does he throw out a couple of these rookies together and just sort of blood them on day one and say, okay, <laughs> in at the deep end with you? Or do you see an Aberg playing with a, a Rory McIlroy? I see it more that way. Uh, wow. You know, I do see that uh, they don't want to, I don't think, put their top horses together. Got to split them up split a little Split them bit. up a little and mm. bring in, like Seve used to play with guys who are totally inexperienced mm. uh, and yet would, would sort of shepherd them along mm. and bring out their best. And, uh, you know, I think Rom's capable of that. And, and I think especially Victor with such a great temperament, you could put anybody with him. And Rory, you know, uh, I think, Rory, you want somebody who's in a, I think, positive frame of mind because Rory can get a little down on himself sometimes. Mm. Take some pressure off him, make it fun. Uh, but he has a lot of flexibility. How about the captains themselves and how they've gone about their mm -hmm. business with the picks that they've made and how they're kind of organizationally as well? You're talking about Zach and Luke, never the biggest hitters, uh, you know, wedge players, thinkers. Yeah. Anything in the way that they play show you anything about how they may captain? I think they are meticulous and look for detail and look for small margins because that's what it took for them. You know, they had to be, they couldn't have any weaknesses really other than their uh, length off the tee was always right. going to be a week, so they had to make it up in other ways. Mm. Uh, Luke didn't hit it particularly straight, but he did everything else beautifully. Great iron player, incredible short game. Bunkers. Great putter. I mean, and, and Zach's legendary with the wedge, what he did at the Masters. Mm. So I think, yes, uh, they're very businesslike. They're both very articulate and smart. Um, I don't think they tend to be really emotional. Uh, or at least show it. Maybe they will in the team room. Mm. But I think they want to have that really cool calculating kind of distance from the object kind of uh, approach and let the players sort of form their own personality. I don't think they want to force their personality on the team. Mm. I, would, I would argue when it comes to personalities and teams, I would argue that where Europe has always found its unity was in the purpose of mm -hmm. kicking the American spots because yeah. so many generations of European guys got a chip on their shoulders thinking that they were disrespected on the PGA Tour, you know, they were sent Absolutely. out to play with 
Q school graduates and, mm. and rookies. Whereas the American team, to me these days, feels as though it's trying to manufacture unity before it goes in terms of personal relationships. Do you buy that the, the American team seems a little bit too clubby right now? Yeah, I think you wrote a great column about that. And uh, yeah, I, I think the task force has had a residue effect. Let's make sure we have chemistry. It's almost the first priority. Uh, but it's not necessarily the, the important priority because what's a purpose, as you said, that's what drove Europe. And a lot of people uh, on that team didn't really like each other particularly well on those European teams, but they really came together with that for common cause. Two years <laughs> I, I think, you know, finding a common cause for America right now is let's go win on, on foreign soil, and that might mm -hmm. be the mission this time. Well, if Luke Donald can find a way to call this team underdogs with the firepower that you mentioned, yeah. that you want to talk mm -hmm. about pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that's what the European side seems to do every two years. And I think Amy made a great point about American exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. The fans think that way, too. Yeah. Uh, but I think they're a lot closer than it looks on, uh, not on paper, but on, in image. Mm. Thanks for the time. We'll see you on Golf Central tonight. Yes, sir. He is. I mean, Diaz, folks. It, it most expected that Tommy Flea would, would be on this team as a captain's pick. So no surprises this morning when he was announced as one of the six who make his third appearance for Team Europe later this month. Four, two, and two overall. Gave his hip flexors quite the workout in 2018 in Paris as part of Mollywood. Four, one, and oh. In 2018, there you see the bio played in 2018 and 2021. You see the record, and he brings quite a formidable resume to the team. And great to have Tommy Fleetwood with us on this Labor Day. You know, my parents told me, you know, assume nothing. You take nothing for granted. So even as great as you are, what was it like to get the phone call from Captain Luke? Uh, it's it's still um, it's still a lovely feeling. It really is. I think Luke has done an amazing job of being. Um, you know, very open throughout the the year, if you like, of qualification. Um, so he's been in constant contact. Um, but still, you know, that moment when it finally comes and the team gets announced, it's it's a very uh, it's a very cool feeling. And um, yeah, loved it. You know, just loved the whole experience of the the selection sort of process. And I'm just happy that um, I've managed to make my way on the team and I'll be there again. Tommy, you've seen the highs and lows. On this team, you had the, the heavy defeat a couple of years ago at Westin Straits, a huge victory in Paris a couple of years before that. What, what have you learned from the highs and lows as you head into the third Ryder Cup? Well, I um, the interesting thing was, like, I can look at both of those and I enjoyed them equally as much, um, you know, going to battle with my, with my teammates and Team Europe and um, whether we've won in a great manner or we lost in you know in a heavy way um honestly i've had the best time playing in both of those team events and i've i've enjoyed it so much um still you know it stinks to lose i think um one you know one thing you you realize when you've played a couple and, and again i'm not as experienced as a lot of people but um hopefully i'm getting there is you know there's crucial moments um in a lot of the matches i think fast starts are very important um and uh, it's 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 a really big occasion, and uh, it brings out emotions in all of us that you just you, you don't plan for. You're not you know you, it's not really expected sometimes, but it's such an amazing experience, such an amazing feeling, and uh, so exciting to be going there again. So, Tommy, you're not like a veteran like Justin Rose or Rory McIlroy. You're not a youngster like Ludwig Aberg. What role do you want to play on this team? I'll play whatever role. Uh, they want me to play. I, um, yeah, I, yeah, I have, I have past experiences from Ryder Cups. I feel like um, I enjoy playing 
in a team and I enjoy having a teammate out there with me on the golf course. I feel like I've, I've um, played well in team events in the past. And, um, you know, I just, I, I just enjoy being around the guys and hopefully um, over the last two Ryder Cups, it's, it's not just about, it is about how you play. Of course it is. And you want to get as many points as you can um, for the team, but also there's a lot more that goes into it. It's what kind of teammate are you and what can you bring um, on the golf course, but off the golf course as well. And um, hopefully, you know, that is something that, um, you know, pe people have found in me and I enjoy being in the team room and around the guys and hopefully just bring everybody um, good fortune or make them comfortable or make them laugh, whatever it is. But it's, um, it's always been a joy to be around the team. Tommy, Europe's had a lot of iconic partnerships over the years with Seve and Ola Thabal, you and Frankie Molinari a couple of years ago, even Luke Donald and Sergio. But when you look at the history of the current team that's heading to Rome, they haven't really played with each other very often. You've had a couple of matches yeah. in there with Victor Hovland in the past. Is there a sense that this is entirely experimental in terms of who you're playing with? Or do you look at the list of these 12 guys and think that guy's going to be my Frankie this year? Uh, yeah, it is a little different, um, and I think we have we've gone through that period. I think we have, if you look at the the makeup of our team this year, we have a lot of guys that have played um, multiple Ryder Cups um, and some rookies. But yeah, we haven't um, we haven't played together as much as maybe previous teams um, in terms of pairings, and and for sure the United States seem to have some pairings that are set in stone. But um, for us, I think one of the strengths. Um, of the European team has always been the closeness, the the feeling and the camaraderie when we get in the team room, like I've, I've said a bunch of times, the best place I've ever been in golf is in the European team room at a Ryder Cup. And, and I think um, we've always been lucky that the teams have always gelled so well from my experience. And, um, and sometimes you come up on it, upon a gem of a partnership and that happens. But honestly, I think the guys are very ready and um, to play with, you know, whoever we get put with. And I think still, you look at the way that a lot of our games match up as well as our personalities, I think um, we'll see, you know, there's potential to have partnerships that will last. And yeah, it'll be a little bit new, but I think um, I'm sure we'll do a great job of it. Speaking of coming upon a gem, we had Luke Donald on just a few minutes ago and he said his reaction to playing with Ludwig for the first time was similar to his reaction playing with Rory McIlroy for the first time. And it was a lot of, wow, what's been the scuttlebutt and talk among the players about this young talent from Sweden and what's possible for him going forward? Well, it was amazing. I think when he, when he turned pro, he actually played in um, Dubai in the Desert Classic earlier this year in January. And um, a lot of people took notice then. I think like his style of play, the way that he swings a club and the way he goes about things have been very, very impressive. And then when he turned pro and came out on the PJ Tour, um, I mean, believe it or not, like the guys that played with him, they looked at that point and they said, you know, this guy could actually make this Ryder Cup team. So it's, um, I don't think it has been much of a shock to anybody that has been out there playing um, that he has made the team, is advanced very quickly, you know, on the pro circuit. And I think last week he was so impressive. We were watching the way that he played down the stretch, but um, it's going to be great to have him in the team and um, like looking forward to being side by side with him. It's going to be brilliant. And he's definitely... You know, everything is showing that he is um, an absolute superstar for sure. And if we're talking about investment in the future teams, it's, it's worth pointing out that Ludwig isn't even the youngest guy on the team, Tommy. We have Nikolai Heugard there who clipped you a couple of years ago at Marco Simone into second place by a single shot. 
you, you've got experience, obviously, on that golf course. So does Nikolai. Bob McIntyre won there as well. What kind of a test do you think Marco Simone is going to present later this month? And do you think it's going to favour the Europeans in any respect? Well, it seems like the home venues have favoured the home teams over the last few years. Um, hopefully, that's going to be no different. Um, it's look, we have we have a lot of stats on the goals, and I know Luke and, and the vice captains have been working very closely on that. I think it's uh, from what I remember, it's a great driving golf course. Um, if you can drive it well, you can. I know that's pretty much the same for most golf courses, but on this one in particular, I think if you can drive it very well, you can break the golf course down and give yourself some chances. And I remember the greens being quite undulating. So I think it will be a really, really good match play course. Um, and definitely, like I say, uh, from everything that I've heard and when I experienced, strong driving will play a big part. And I think um, we have a lot of players in the team that do uh, that set up for that. Tommy, I've been covering the Ryder Cup since 2006. So I've seen a lot of Sergio and Ian Poulter over the last 15, 20 years or so. How important is it that this European team replaces that emotional leadership that those two men in particular have provided well for sure i think look you can't um you can't replace uh characters and legends of the Ryder cup like sergio and pulse and um i consider myself very lucky that i experienced being <laughs> in a european team watching how they were in in that team room and how they played and um it'll you know it'll be different this year but i'm sure you know we have guys that are i'm sure are ready to step you know, into into a, maybe a bigger role than what we've played before in a team. Um, you know, we'll miss those guys, but at the same time, I think you look, you know, things change and things progress. And um, although those guys aren't in the team room, um, I'm sure they'll be supporting and they've given us, um, you know, a lot of history to ride on and um, take that forward with us. And um, I'm sure we'll be all doing our best. On that point, Tommy, if you go back two years in the post-mortem on Westine Strait seemed to suggest that the European team was in a crisis, that a certain, an entire generation of guys who'd been heroes over the years was aging out, and where was the next generation coming from? When you look at this team that's put together now, does that all seem a little bit exaggerated back then? I, yeah, I think so. I think the team looks pretty good. Um, I think uh, you look at a bunch of us that were there at the last one, and um, I've said it, you know, a bunch of times we all looked at each other at that point and we wanted to do everything we could to get back on this team and uh, have a chance at bringing that Ryder Cup home. And then you look at um, superstars like, um, you know, the rookies that are, that are making this team as well. And um, I think all of a sudden it looks really, really good. And um, so like, I think we've done great. We have a good bunch of experience as well as, you know, talent and as players that are very confident and yeah look it's it's strange like two years is a long time and we see it you know I, I guess all the time in the Ryder Cups that teams change things change but um yeah it's interesting to look at it now in how the makeup of the team has kind of materialized and you look at it and think, well, we have so many guys that were there last time and we've added um some good fresh talent on top of that so um it does look great well get those hip flexors ready uh, to stretch in Rome enjoy Dubai and best of luck thanks so much for the time Tommy Always, thank you. I'll have them ready. Time now for the perfect approach presented by Cap Gemini. Oh, you hear the music, you know what that means. Ryder Cup on everyone's mind. Our friend and colleague, Paul McGinley, back in 02. What a putt. 10 feet, 18th hole, beating Jim Furyk at the Belfry, which won the Ryder Cup 
for Europe. Look at those young men celebrating. Jim Furyk with the long, faraway look in 2014, put on his captain's hat, and his team was the rock in the storm, helped lead the Europeans to a five-point win at Glen Eagles, which put a bow on a stretch that saw Team Europe win six of seven Ryder Cups, stretching back to 2002. And an impressive resume Paul McGinley has built up here, undefeated in Ryder Cup singles, played on three teams and had three winning performances. And everyone talks about that putt he made in 2002, Damon. People forget about how good the chip shot was to put him in that position mm. in the first place. And of course, the captain, 2014. So he's made all of these tough decisions himself. And Paul McGinley joins us now from Ireland. Paul, you've seen the final 12 that Luke Donald has put together. Do you think he's striking the right balance between the short-term focus on winning this month in Rome versus the investment in what the future of a Ryder Cup team in Europe has to look like? Well, I certainly hope so, Eamon. I think, uh, hello, Eamon and Damon, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're coming off a record defeat here. Let's make no bones about it. There's a change in the guard going on in Europe. Uh, we got absolutely hammered in whistling straights. We've had to make uh, some changes, um, you know, to our qualification system. Um, there's a lot of communication going on with players uh, behind the scenes, um, DP World Tour players in particular, the young guys to come through. Uh, we reignited the old Seve Trophy and call it the Hero Cup, which was very important. I attended that over in uh, Abu Dhabi back in January. And, you know, we're trying, as to say in Ireland, we're trying to put the wheels back in the bike here uh, after this huge loss that we had two years ago. Um, so there is a changing of the guard going on, you know, the likes of Poulter and, and Westwood and, 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 you know, Sergio have obviously gone to live now, but, you know, in terms of their age as well, too, they're getting up into their forties and into their late forties. And there was going to be a change of the guard going on anyway, uh, before Liv came on the scene. So, uh, it was a natural evolution after the great success that we've had, uh, and coming off the hiding that we had in Whistling Straits, um, you know, it's great that we've got so many players, particularly yesterday on the DP World, are chomping at the bit and playing as well as they did under pressure to try to make the second half of the team. Um, so all in all, we're in a pretty good position, a better position than we were uh, last year and a much better position than we were two years ago where we had, a you know, an aging team that wasn't playing particularly well. Paul, as you know, there's always Monday morning quarterbacking, second guessing after captain's picks are made and already hearing a lot of reaction on social media. The Englishman Richard Bland saying that it should have been Adrian Moronk over Shane Lowry, for example. He put that out on social media on Instagram with a thumbs down. Your thoughts on Adrian not being on the team and Shane Lowry being on the team? Well, well, first of all, Adrian Moronk, I can't think of a situation where a player has been more unfortunate and has done more uh, to make the team as a rookie and is going to miss out. This guy won three national titles in the last 18 months. Um, he's been very strong on, on, the, on the DP World Tour this year. Um, you know, he won the Australian Open, he won the Irish Open, um, and he won the Italian Open, as you can see here, you know, on the golf course where we're going to be playing the Ryder Cup. And it's incredible that he's been left out. And he's been left out because of the unbelievable play of the guys around him, Nicholas Highgard in particular, uh, on top of, uh, obviously, Aberg coming through. So, first of all, uh, I really, really feel sad for Adrian. Uh, he deserves to be on the team, and a number of circumstances have come together for him not to make it. Um, and, and I'll just go on to the, the, the point for that being, go on to the second point about Shane being on the team. Um, you know, I take the point that Shane's form hasn't been great. I think he's only had one top 10 this year. He's a lot of top 20s. He hasn't had a big finish this year, which is missing. 
Um, but in his favour, he obviously is a guy that played, one of the few guys that played pretty decently in um, in Whistling Straits. Uh, he's a very popular character and player, and I know there's a lot of player players who've been talking to Luke and, and saying, look, if Shane's on the team, I want to be his partner. Um, and then the third thing, the big thing that Shane had going for him, uh, besides the fact that he's a superb player who's performed well under pressure and very popular with his peers, and the big thing he had going for him, uh, the way it turned out at the end was, if Luke had have picked, had have done what Richard Bland said there, and left out Shane Lowry and put in um, Adrian Moronk, that would have put five rookies in the team. Now, four is a lot as it is, and five rookies was nearly half the team being rookies. And then to answer, you know, that would have tipped too much in the favour of, of a young generation coming in. As to Eamon's first question there, a really good team has got that balance between youth coming in uh, and, and experience there. But experience should always outweigh the, the youth coming through. Uh, so I'm sure Luke was aware of that. Um, and, and you know one of the one you know one of the few reasons uh, that uh, that was in, um, in in Shane's favor, you know the many reasons that were in his favor was the fact that it would have tipped tipped it nearly fifty fifty to the team in terms of uh, rookies against experience. There's not much in the way of a playing history in matches, foursomes, four balls between the guys on this team. Paul, there's only been five pairings over the last couple of years where the the guys on this team have partnered up together. We know you took a very detailed approach to that when you were the captain. You know, every time Graham McDowell went to play in Europe, you had him with Victor de Buisson, and then you tell him months later, this is who you're playing with in the Ryder Cup. What would you do in terms of the pairings now with a blank slate like this? Who do you think would marry well together? Uh, I mean, it's it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, picking them, picking the guys who are going to marry together. There's no doubt about it. You know, we are drawing this up against again, Eamon. You know, a lot of these players that we talk about, um, you know, our stellar players, our Fleetwoods, our McElroys, you know, and our Rams, and you know, Victor Hovland's and all of that. You know, most of them have got a have got a losing record in Ryder Cups. You know, they're coming off of defeats, not just in terms of the team losing, but also their own personal records are not brilliant as well too. And so, established pairings have not really been formed the way they were formed in the previous decades, which kind of went from, from Ryder Cup to Ryder Cup. So there's a little bit of a, of a clean slate here for Luke to put those together. I know Eduardo Molinari, uh, who's one of his vice captains, has been hugely uh, impressive and important behind the scenes because he's the guy doing the statistics. Um, he's got his own software. He manages a lot of the players or looks after the stats of a lot of players already on the DP World Tour and indeed on the PGA Tour. Um, so he's well familiar with them. And it's a bit like picking the pieces on the jigsaw. You know, you're forming your team based around what the exam would be. Um, and, you know, the exam is very clear. We've had a number of, of uh, Italian Opens played on this golf course now. We know the style of player that seems to win around there and play well around there. And, and now he's going to the pairings and try to put those together. So as much as analytics will be a part of it, and, and Eduardo has done a brilliant job. I've been privy to that over the Euro Cup, what he's doing. He's done a sensational job uh, in, in that regard. You know, my advice to Luke, and I've said this to him many, many times over the last uh, two years since he's been captain, you know, as much as analytics is there, you know, it's still the heart and soul of you, Luke. You know, it's got to have your identity. You're a former world number one player with a phenomenal Ryder Cup record. You know what it takes. It's in there. It's in your heart. It's in your instinct. And let never, never, never dismiss that when you're making decisions. So as much as the analytics guys are going to come at you with lots of information, you got to balance it up with what Luke really feels because you're a captain for a reason. And, and getting that balance right is really important uh, for Luke, that he doesn't, um, by all means, gather all the information, but never dismiss what your instinct is as a golfer and particularly as a team golfer because, you know, Luke's record was fantastic in a Ryder Cup. Well, Paul, how did you do it in 2014? You know, this, you know, in addition to making a great rallying cry with the rock in the storm, your foursomes 
were, were nearly unbeatable, three and a half to a half, three and a half to a half. How did you put together the foursomes? Alternate shot, extremely difficult to put those teams in particular together. Well, again, going back, this is just me personally, and, and you know, it's not applicable to every golf course, Damon, but, but in, in Glen Eagles, you had four par fives, and you also had a drivable par four. So that's five holes, but four of them were even numbers. So what I did was I put pairings together where there was a big hitter and a shorter hitter in the group. You know, the big hitter would drive on those even numbers and have a bit of an advantage and able to the shorter hitter be able to get home in two. So that's kind of how I formed the pairings. And obviously that struck up very well. Uh, as Eamon said earlier too, I was forming the relationships behind the scenes without the players knowing, trial and testing them in individual events when we're playing on the, on the European tour as it was then. Um, and, and, you know, establishing the relationship between them. But, you know, the edge I think that we had was pairing this, you know, Victor and Graham is the example that Eamon used there. And Victor's obviously a very big hitter. Graham not so, but he's got other skill sets. So we got Victor being the big hitter to drive at the even numbers. And, and, and then Graham, you know, used his strengths from there. Once the drive got away in 320 down the middle of the fairway, you know, that's when he was, uh, you know, giving to his strength. So they were the kind of the basis of my pairings. Uh, obviously, Rose and, and Stenson were, were the top pairing and, and they were sensational together. You know, both of them were very similar players, but I just felt that the, the magic of those two, they both lived in McNona at the time. They were good friends and their games were, were pretty similar in terms of they were fairways and greens guys. Uh, and I always found the Zach Johnsons were the toughest guys that I, that I played against in Ryder Cups. You know, the Jim Furyks, you know, the guys that were relentless, the Krista Marcos, the guys that just gave you nothing. They're the hardest guys to play against when it comes to foursomes. And, and I just felt that Rose and Stenson were that, were, that, were that kind of style of player. So, again, it was instinct. There was analytics there, of course. But there was also a lot of instinct uh, in, in what I'd learned myself as well, too, and, and, and how, what I felt the identity of the team should be. You had three captain's picks back in 2014, Paul. Last time around, Podrick had negotiated the number of picks down from the four that Thomas yeah. Bjorn had in 2018 to three. Luke now has six this year. Podrick had always made this argument that captain's picks are under a little bit more pressure to deliver, to justify the vote of confidence put in them by the captain. Do you subscribe to that theory? I think everybody is different. And certainly I think Podrick was speaking from experience there when he said that he was a pick and he really felt the pressure playing, uh, being a pick. Other guys, not so. Um, you know, I mean, Ian Poulter... Uh, was a pick numerous, numerous times, and look how well he played. Um, Jose Maria Lazabal was a pick. I think he only made the team once. Look how good his record was being right a cup. So I think it depends on the player. I don't think you can paint it with one brush, and that's the way it is. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know certainly we felt behind the scenes in, in European. Uh, right, a cup that uh, two two was not enough picks, particularly with the turmoil going on in the game at the moment, and um, you know that that there needs to be a lot lot more leeway. And you know during COVID and all the stuff that happened with it, you know we felt that it was a mistake not to extend our picks into four or maybe even six, and at least give the leeway. You can always pick the next guys who qualified down anyway and justify it that way. Um, so so obviously with the turmoil going in in the game at the moment. Um, six was the, was the view. Now, that may change again, Eamon. You know, as the game settles down, although it mightn't happen for the next edition, it might be more than two more years before it settles down, but we may well trend back towards, maybe not far as back as two, but certainly back towards um, four and three again. Paul Roy, McElroy, not the oldest member of the team, but the most experienced member of the team. What are your expectations for him in Rome, considering his great form, but also his heartfelt tears after the defeat in Wisconsin? 
Yeah, Rory's got to play better, uh, Damon. That's the bottom line. You know, he's a great player. Uh, he's very popular with his peers. There's low. <laughs> everybody wants to play with Rory McIlroy. There's no problems with that. Um, you know, he's got a big heart. We know that. And he's got a guy who's got a, you know, a very strong record in match play where he's won the, the Dell World match play in the past. So, you know, all the attributes are there for him to be a brilliant Ryder Cup player. Um, you know, he is not that at the moment. You know, you don't put him in the realms of Ballesteros and Montgomery and, you know, all of the great players that have uh, gone through European history, the Elizabeths, um, even the Polters and, you know, Westwoods. He's not in that realm yet of being a stellar Ryder Cup player. So, you know, he's achieved so much in the game. We know that. Uh, but being a, an absolute dominant Ryder Cup player is not something he's done yet. But, you know, there's loads and loads of time left in his career, as we know, to do that. Uh, I think establishing a good partnership would be good. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's been bobbing and weaving. He's had some rookies on his shoulder. He's had some more experienced guys on his shoulder. And nothing is really ignited yet. So hopefully, you know, on day one in particular, if you could get off to a good start and get comfortable with, with a, a particular player, whoever that may be, and then, you know, the captain then continues to continue riding for the rest of that Ryder Cup, you may well see him winning kind of three and a half, four matches out of five, should he play five matches. Um, so, you know, that's really where we need to get to with McElroy. We need him to play better. It's not that he's not ignited. It's not that his heart is not in it. We saw that with all the emotion in Whistling Straits. But his best golf has not come out in these team environments. Um, and, you know, there's a number of reasons behind the scenes where the guys think that, um, you know, and, and we're going to hopefully adjust that this year and, and create a really good platform for Rory to go on and, and, you know, have a really successful Ryder Cup. The teams you played on, Paul, had guys like Darren Clark. Lee Westwood, who were the kind of the centre of the easygoing fun back in that era. When you look at this lineup today, are they as fun and as easygoing as it was back in your day? Uh, probably not, to be fair, you know. But, you know, is golf as fun as it was 15 years ago? I think they're making 10 times the money that we were making. But, uh, you know, the camaraderie that we had in the game back then, and maybe it was caused because we weren't playing as much money as they are now, and we went off flying around everywhere in private jets, and there wasn't 50 net jets sitting at the airport uh, to take players home every night, and we, you know, we we, we mingled uh, around each other in airports and in and in the same hotels every week, and we didn't have our chefs on tour and all of the things that the guys do now. So I think it's a natural evolution with how the game has exploded in the last five years, in particular, uh, in terms of prize funds and 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 how the guys treat the game and how they travel differently and how they stay in different places you know back in our day you know we all went on the same flights we all met in Heathrow airport and you know there could be 50 70 golfers on that flight on the way wherever we were going uh, and, and then we all met uh, you know it was always one maybe two hotels that we all stayed in nobody ever stayed in a private house and obviously that's all different now where the majority certainly the top players would stay in private houses rather than them um, rather than in a hotel so I think there's there's that different the camaraderie is not quite the same also, the world has changed a bit too, you know. I mean, back in our day, there was quite a bit of alcohol consumed, it's fair to say, uh, even during Ryder Cups. And, you know, I was amazed when I was captain even in 14, you know, nobody drank. I mean, nobody. It wasn't like, no, no, it's the Ryder Cup, I'm not going to drink. It was a case of, no, I'm not drinking. I don't drink when I play. And it was like, not even a question. Whereas uh, I remember, uh, I'm not giving away too many secrets, but I remember in uh, when we won by a record margin in, in, uh, in Oakland Hills under Bernard Langer, uh, I remember one of the backroom staff coming out and telling us uh, on the Saturday night, so this is before the Sunday, we had consumed 72 bottles of wine uh, already <laughs> up to the Saturday night and they had to go and reorder. And this is before, you know, when matches were still on. So it's not like we were getting drunk every night, far from it. But, you know, everybody would have had one or two, maybe three glasses of wine at night and it was normal. And, you know, nine, ten out of the 12 players would do that. It, it, but obviously it's a, it's a changed atmosphere now. And, of course, 
when there's alcohol involved, Eamon, as you well know, there's always a bit more crack involved. Well, didn't Luke Donald have his own wine label at he one point? He can just ferry it in. He can get a discount. He's going to be in Rome, for crying out loud. Great Brunello available. I hope they bring some old-school passion, if not the bourbon. Paul, we appreciate the time. Thank uh, you. All right, you're welcome, guys. We have a big mountain to climb in Europe. We know that. That's a very, very strong American team. But, you know, as I say, we're well-equipped, and it's going to be a, a big, big battle, and it should be a great ride to come. Ah, set the table as an underdog already. All right, folks, don't believe them. Coming up next, joined by two of the best golf riders in the business, Ewan Murray and Shane Ryan for a little Ryder Cup roundtable. That's next. Eamon, it's time now for a Golf Today Roundtable with Shane Ryan, author and GolfDigest.com contributor. Great to see you, buddy. How do you think Luke Donald did in this you know, really big test and big day for him? Yeah, I think it's really interesting picks. I think Ludwig Aberg being on the team, uh, having the courage to pick him, and from everything I heard, he was picked even before he won on Sunday. I think it's a wonderful pick. I compared it to a sort of money ball pick where he's not as established. You know, he didn't have, he's never been in a major even before Sunday. He didn't have a win, but they knew what this guy brought to the table from a skill standpoint. They basically seem to see him as the next John Rahm. And I think it just makes the entire Ryder Cup more exciting and bolsters the bottom half of that Team Europe lineup in a huge way. Um, you know, really tough for Adrian Morong to miss out. Maybe there's some questions about, you know, whether Shane Lowry, you know, was deserving to be on the team over a guy like Moronk, who literally won at the uh, at the host course this summer. So it's tough for him. Uh, great for Nikolai Hoygaard. And yeah, just uh, I think it makes for a very interesting debate about how he did. And it's going to make for a terrific Ryder Cup. Let's dig in on that Lowry Moronk argument here a little bit, Shane. Obviously, we saw Richard Bland posted on social media earlier, the thumbs down emoji that Moronk ought to have made it over Lowry. And to put that in context, Richard Bland, as a live player, has been peddling this narrative now for over a year that somehow the European Tour has been diminished by players who kind of favour the PGA Tour. But it's also been reported, Ben Coley on, on Twitter has also pointed out that when they've been in the same field this year, Shane Lowry has consistently outperformed Adrian Moronk. Are you surprised that this is the second guessing that's, that's focused on Shane Lowry out of form versus the guy who's won on this venue? I'm not too surprised because, you know, Shane Lowry obviously is a veteran Ryder Cup player, but we got to put veteran in quotes because he's only been in one and he went one in two, right? So on the U.S. side of things, you have kind of a similar situation with Justin Thomas being out of form for a little bit. But Justin Thomas is one of the great match play golfers of his generation, right? You combine President's Cups and Ryder Cups, and the guy is 16, 5, and 3. So you can justify that. I personally think, you know, having Justin Thomas on the team was the right decision no matter what happens in Rome. Having Lowry, a guy who, to be fair, had some decent results over the course of the summer, had some okay results in majors this year, but he is lagged lately and adrian Moronk has won three times this season again we can't say this enough including he won at marco simone so it's tough for me because lowry doesn't have the pedigree the Ryder cup pedigree that a justin thomas has now team europe leadership is genius you know you just had paul mcginley on a guy who knows more about the Ryder cup than any human alive luke donald's a really smart guy eduardo molinari is a stats whiz so it's not you know it's not an old boys club or anything like that that resulted in picking lowry but I will say, unlike Thomas, if Lowry, let's say, goes 0-3 in Rome, I think it's fair to start second-guessing uh, that pick a little bit. I'm already, I'm first-guessing it right now. So 
I think there's pressure on him to perform. And at least on paper, without knowing the behind the scenes stat stuff or the chemistry things, I think it's a little bit hard to understand what made Lowry so much better than Moronk. Well, let's expand this roundtable, bringing you and Murray of the Guardian. Great to see you. Any surprises from Luke Donald's six picks today? We're debating Lowry v. Moronk right now. Good to see you guys as well. I'm not surprised. I think there's an experience versus um, rookie element there. Um, Shane is an open champion. I think it's fair to say that his form this summer hasn't been great, and that makes him a point of discussion. But when you're bringing Hoygaard in, when you're bringing Aberg in, McIntyre is going to play in his first Ryder Cup, Straka in his first Ryder Cup. I think the experience, the overall experience, maybe not in the Ryder Cup, but the overall experience of Shane Lowry becomes more important. So, so I understand. I think Moronk um, has a case to feel hard done by. Um, but I would say more so versus Hoygaard than versus Shane Lowry. I, I, I understand what they've done there. But the big talking point, of course, you guys have been on it, is, is Aberg, this young star who's burst onto the scene, blasted onto the scene. And, you know, we're all intrigued to see how he's going to, to cope in Rome. You, you know what it was like on Sunday night at Whistling Straits two years ago when there was this idea that there was a crisis in the European team. A generation had aged out. That was all before the live defections, which frankly took more of a generation of captains than it did players. Do you, Looking back now, do you think it was somewhat exaggerated that the European team was heading towards a crisis, or have they actually just simply navigated that crisis in what looks to be a fairly decent manner? Well, we'll find out in a few weeks. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the proof will be... Um, partly in, in this Ryder Cup, that it's it so benefits the home team that it, it should be no great shock that, that Europe, you know, can go and win in Rome. If the Americans win again, and the Americans are a very strong team, then then I think that sense of of crisis will will come back. But I, I think the European team is in good shape. You touched on it. That, I mean, from Whistling Straits, you know, Casey has gone, Westwood has gone, Garcia has gone, Poulter has gone. <laughs> And I th and I think notwithstanding, Lev, there was a bit of there was a natural evolution needed there anyway. And, and I think it's quite healthy that, that what has transpired. You've got someone like Fitzpatrick who is due a good Ryder Cup um, in the team. And as I said, these young guys are going to bring a freshness. So I I think they're in a good place. And on paper, which is dangerous, in paper they look in a far better place than they were going into Whistling Straits. Shane, what do you think about the, the lack of a Poulter and Garcia's fire? I can't help but keep seeing, you know, highlights in my mind of, of you know, Sergio racing up and down fairways, you know, Poulter's bug eyes. How does this European squad, which has some passionate players, replicate that kind of soulful, deep longing that those players represented who are no longer there? It's a great question, and that may be part of why Shane Lowry's on the team, along with all the you know qualities that Ewan just enumerated. But, you know, when you're playing at home in the Ryder Cup, I would be shocked if there's not fire there. You know, Rory McIlroy is going to have fire. John Rahm is going to have fire. And that energy, I think, is going to transfer to the younger guys, uh, you know, the, the Nikolai Hoygaards, the Abergs. I think if those guys don't come out raring to go, I, I would be completely shocked. So, yeah, I mean, look. Ian Poulter is probably the greatest European Ryder Cup player ever, one of the top three. Not to have him is, is a loss, but at the same time, you know, there's an argument to be made that this live split happened at the correct time. Those guys are all older now, right? And they were all there at Whistling Straits, and their fire didn't make a lick of difference, right? They got run over by the Americans. So at, at a certain point, the generations change over, and you need new answers. And 
you know, I happen to agree with you. And I think a year ago, I was looking at this potential European team going, who are they going to have on there? <laughs> a, a top, aside from the top six guys, who is going to be on that team? I think today the team looks pretty good. And I, I would put them basically even with the Americans to win in Italy with their, with their home course advantage. You and we were talking earlier about the lack of a playing history or partnering history between various members of this European team who haven't really paired up much at all in, in past Ryder Cups. It's almost 20 years since Hal Sutton decided to drop two hammers and send out Tiger and Phil Mickelson off the top in a Ryder Cup. Is there any chance you see a Luke Donald deciding with a blank slate, let's send McEnroy and Ram out there together or McEnroy and Hovland? Or do you expect him to get a little bit more creative and try to balance out some of those rookies or less experienced guys? Hey, man, you're speaking to someone who thinks a lot of that is massively overstated. These are among the best golfers in the world. I, I think we get massively, there are exceptions, but I think we get massively caught up with who plays with who. How is this going to work? If people like Nick Faldo, and Colin Montgomery, um, who in the European sense were, were real, you know, the epitome of individuals. They were fantastic in the Ryder Cup and they, and they just meshed with people. I think Europe will be okay. Um, and, I, and I would also say Luke Donald is, is meticulous. So um, if there's something that certainly should not happen, certainly would not work, I think he'll be very clear about that. Um, McElroy and Ram, I can't see it. But, but I just look at the European players and the American players and I, and I don't see red flags that he can't play with him that can't happen I, I think and we're going to we're going to get involved in the, a lot of this over the next few weeks I think we get far too obsessed with who can and cannot play with who I, I think given the level they're at given their abilities um, I, I think they'll be fine both teams a lot of flexibility can't wait till Rome Ewan and Shane thank you so much for joining us thanks a lot guys